Today we come to a very interesting passage in God's book, which I hope will be a great encouragement to all of us, that we might serve him and reach out and do all we can to encourage one another. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. Probably most people, when they see this passage, they focus on Elijah. He did some marvelous things here under God. But today, we want to focus not so much on Elijah, but on a widow, a widow woman who lived in Zarephath. Now, Elijah had some things happen to him that eventually got him to go up to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath was a port city between Sidon and Tyre. Sidon way up north, Tyre a little closer, an island. So Zarephath was in Gentile country and was a port city. That's where this widow woman, a non-Jew, a Gentile, lived. So first of all, we see how God foresees what's going to happen, and he works in Elijah's life to get him ready to go up to Zarephath. 1 Kings chapter 17, we can see how God can work out things and do amazing things. He can do that for us. He can do it for our church. He can reach out. He can accomplish things we cannot accomplish. And by the way, I'd like to say I appreciate learning that Rachel has a website now for our church here. That's a good thing, so hopefully that can be a thing of of outreach. Beginning with verse 1, then, of chapter 17, 1 Kings. And Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, remember Ahab was a bad king of the northern kingdom of Israel, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years but according to my word. We learned that it actually turned out to be a drought of three and a half years length. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kirith, which is before Jordan River. You see, Ahab later blamed Elijah. (laughs) He wanted to get him and and punish him. He was the messenger, but sometimes you shoot the messenger. And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. That's an interesting word, there. That's where the ravens were commanded to feed him. There is the place that he would be taken care of. Had he gone elsewhere, there was no promise. Our there is God's will, wherever he wants us to be. The ravens were commanded to be there, and so Elijah needed to be there to receive God's blessing. Now, isn't it interesting that ravens were going to feed him? Ravens are carnivorous birds. 
that is meat eating. And here the raven or ravens were going to bring him meat. That's contrary to what they normally do. They get meat and they eat it. <laughs> they take it to their little ones and what have you. God commanded a carnivorous bird to bring meat to Elijah. And of course, the water would help sustain him there at the brook. We need to be there, wherever there may be for us. That's God's will, whether spatially or in other ways. I will feed you there. I think back in my life, something I've somewhat shared with you before. While I was still in seminary, I wondered about whether I'd ever get married or not. As you know, as I've said, <laughs> now it's 65 years. But at that point, I didn't know June. I didn't know whether God wanted me to get married or serve him perhaps a little more freely, not having a wife. At any rate, uh, I prayed about that. <clears throat> if God wanted me to have a wife, that he would provide the wife. If not, that was up to him. At that point, I was working on our citrus ranch, and I was in seminary. God would have me meet June in the First Baptist Church of Fullerton about a year or two after that after that prayer. But how would he get her from Downey, California to the First Baptist Church of Fullerton and how would he get me from the First Baptist Church of Brea was that where I was a deacon and very active to the First Baptist Church of Fullerton so we could meet each other. He had a way of getting Elijah where he wanted him to be well, June's first husband passed away. He went to heaven. His name was Bud or Robert Burke. And they had two little children. Carrie, the oldest one, and Mark. Carrie was two. Mark was still a baby. And God took him home. He was a Christian man. They had a home that was being remodeled or changed in Downey, as I said. How's God going to get June from Downey to Fullerton and into the First Baptist Church of Fullerton? To this day, it's kind of amazing to me that that happened. She didn't really have to move. Her folks, I understand, lived in Anaheim at that point, and they lived there when we got married as well. Maybe that had something to do with it. But why would she change houses and go to Fullerton? It's a bit of a mystery, except God wanted her to do that. And she did it, and things worked out, and she was able to do that. Now, how about me? How to get me, then, to the First Baptist Church of Fullerton? By the way, she at one point tried to visit another church, a church in Placentia nearby, and she got lost and couldn't find it. And <laughs> anyway, God's will was she go to the Fullerton Church. I was in the Brea church, and how's he going to get me there? Well, a man who was or had been moderator of the Fullerton church I knew, and one evening after I'd been 
practicing, I think, some singing with some of the people in the Brea Church, somehow he was there. And he invited me to come to the Fullerton Church. And I saw no need for that. I was active in the Brea Church. And he wasn't asking me to come and be on the staff. So basically, uh, I declined. And I was also then or at least later doing missionary work at that time with Mexican nationals. So I, I declined. Well, some months later, our men's group was invited from the Brea Church to visit the Fullerton Church. Their men's group, it was a larger church, was putting on a dinner and they were inviting other nearby men's groups of different churches to come. And I decided I was plenty busy as it was with the missionary work and with being a deacon and teaching Sunday school and what, singing and what have you, that I didn't need to do that. So I'd pretty well decided I'm not going to go to, the, to that special invitation. I was already plenty busy and working daily, of course, six days a week, nine hours a day uh, on our ranch. Well, at the door the Sunday morning before that Tuesday night, one of our nice men, Kenny was his name, as I was going out the door after the morning service, Kenny asked me, he said, Neville, you going with us to the Brotherhood? He, he had a nice southern accent, and God kind of spoke to me at that point. Even though I hadn't decided to go, I decided not to go, I thought, well, I really kind of thought maybe God does want me to go after all. And uh, that's what I ended up doing. So that Tuesday night, I went with others to the First Baptist Church Brotherhood. After the meeting, Ray, who, as I said, was either the moderator or had been the moderator, he was asking me what I was doing. And he mentioned going to some leader in L.A., and, but he also mentioned that their church was planning to have a minister of visitation from, like, seminary students. I'd already graduated. I'd been at school there for four years. But, but the interesting thing was the main reason, I think, for the, as far as they were concerned, of having this meal for the nearby men was that they had a new pastor. And the new pastor turned out to be Dr. Jim Johnsey, who was my major professor of theology. And I didn't even know he was there or anything, but they had him give a talk. And the next day after this meeting, uh, Dr. Johnsey phoned me at home. And he told me about what Ray had talked about a minister of visitation and invited me to come on the staff part-time. And so I told him that I'd pray about it. Next day uh, after I prayed about it, I called him back and accepted. So that's how God got me from the Brea Church to the Fullerton Church. Now June had begun attending the Fullerton Church about three months, I think, ahead of time. So that's how he got her there, as I said, and now he got me there. Of course, a lot had to happen before I would really get to know her and 
date her and, and then marry her. And those things happened. And thank God, here we are, 65 years later, uh, still happily married, and she's been a wonderful, wonderful helpmate and a great wife. And God's way is the best way, is it not? So Elijah was there, the place of God's choosing. We need to be there, wherever it may be, the place of God's choosing for us. Well, as we go back to the passage here, he went, he did according to the word of the Lord, verse 5, for he went and he lived by the brook Kirith, which is before Jordan River, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So they brought him meat as well as the bread, and he had something to drink there. So God took care of him there. God had commanded the raven to feed him there. So there is where he needed to be to get God's blessing. And wherever there may be for us and for us as a church, that's where we seek to be, where we want to be, that God may bless us and guide us and help us. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So what a beautiful picture this is of God's provision and God's getting Elijah ready to go up to where the widow woman is. So the time finally came, beginning in verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The drought that he'd prophesied came and uh, eventually there was no more brook to drink from. So it was untenable to, to stay there. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, okay, just because God had provision one time in one way for a while doesn't mean it's going to go on forever in that particular way. It might change. It happened after a while that the brook dried up and because there had been no rain in the land. And the word Lord came to him saying, Get up, get you to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon. Remember I mentioned it was south of, of Zidon, a port city of the Mediterranean and live there. Look, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. Okay, there had changed places. And the provision was going to be done in a different way. Not by the brook and the ravens anymore, but by a widow woman. And I thought it was interesting that when I married June, she was a widow, as I pointed out. At any rate, so he got up and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, look, the widow woman was there, <laughs> gathering of sticks. Okay, now he was there and she was there. That was the place of God's blessing. He obeyed God and he did what God told him to do. I think of, remember when Jesus needed a, a donkey or two? He sent out the disciples. You can read about it in Luke 19. And he told them what they were going to find. And they found the, the animals. 
and what was going to happen if somebody asked him, what are you doing loosing them? And well, the Lord has need of them, master, and they'll let him go. And if you read Luke 19, you'll find that's precisely what happened. So that was God's will there at that point. They were in God's will and received God's blessing and the animals for the coming to Jerusalem by Jesus on that Sunday beforehand were provided. She was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, Fetch me, I ask you, a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I ask you, a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord, the Jehovah your God lives, she knew who he was. He was a messenger of God. I have not a cake. I don't have one. But I do have a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And look, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and for my son that we may eat it and die. She'd come to the end of the line. It's all they had left. So she, they were going to have a last meal, <laughs> and that would be it. Now, Elijah asks her an amazing thing here. It almost seems like a cruel thing in a way. Elijah said to her, Fear not. You know, those are great words, aren't they? Don't be afraid. Jesus said that to his disciples many times. Don't be afraid. And I think he may say that to his people, to us many times as well. There are things in life that may cause us to fear. And we need to trust God and not be afraid. So first of all, he tells her, don't be afraid. She could be afraid. After all, this was all they had. They were going to run out and die. <laughs> fear not. Go and do as you have said. But, here's the thing that seemed rather selfish and unreasonable. But Make me thereof a little cake first and bring it to me and afterwards make for you and for your son. Now if that's all he said, it might have been a little harder. It was hard even as it was. But imagine telling her to do that. Feed me first <laughs> in such straight and horrible circumstances. Sounds hor horribly selfish, doesn't it? But he adds... Because, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Okay, here's a promise. The barrel of meal shall not waste. In other words, it's not going to run out. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail. It's not going to run out either. Until the day that the Lord sends rain on the ground, on the earth. That would be a long time. He said, you're going to have constant provision of these things. It's going to be a miracle. But first, bring me a cake. So what was really happening here? He was testing her, wasn't he? God, I believe, was testing her. Is she going to believe his word, his promise, that if she does this and makes this great sacrifice, giving her all, as it were, first to him, 
and then take care of themselves the little bit they had left? Would she rise to the occasion? Would she believe what this prophet of God said? Would she actually know that it's going to be true? So she had a great test. How did she come out of this test? She went and did according to the saying of Elijah, verse 15. And she and he and her household did eat for many days. And the barrel of meal did not waste, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Amazing, is it not? But she passed the test. She did what she was told to do. Why'd she do it? She believed. She had faith. It's interesting how sometimes we find in the scripture that non-Jewish people, Gentile people, have great faith. I think of a centurion, particularly in the New Testament. Jesus said he hadn't found such great faith in Israel. And here this Gentile centurion had a great faith, and so did this Gentile woman. God looks for faith. He looks for faith in you, and he looks for faith in me. We are saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and who rose again from the dead. But then we're to live by faith. We're to trust him for everything and for our daily lives. And we're to find out where our there may be. God's will for us. We're to study his word. We're to walk in his ways. We're to pray. And he can guide us aright. It's so important to ask God. Let him be our pilot, our guide, our driver. He's in the driver's seat instead of us. I think of something that happened with David. In the book of 1 Samuel, we find in chapter 5, I believe it is, 2 Samuel, chapter 5. You can read it later, but what happened was the Philistines were attacking Israel. David was king, and it says he inquired of the Lord. Should he go up against them? Should he take his army and go fight them? He asked God what he ought to do. God said, yeah, go ahead and do that. So he did that and won a great victory. But the Philistines hadn't finished yet. They came another time to fight. David did a wise thing again. He could have just figured, well, last time it was that I go and fight them and win, and so it'll be the same this time. I'll just go do that. But David did not do that. First, he again inquired of God. What do you want me to do? This time it was something different. He was to come around kind of behind them, as it were, and he was wait there with his army until he heard a going in the tops of the mulberry trees. I assume that means a breeze. Go there, wait there until that happens. Then attack them. 
And he did that and won another great victory. I gather if he'd have done what he did to begin with, the first victory, it wouldn't have worked. But he wisely, as I said, inquired of God, what should I do? And so here in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we find how twice he asked the Lord. Second time he was told to do a different thing. But both times he obeyed and was successful. I think of a predecessor, as it were, Joshua, who succeeded Moses after Moses went on to heaven. At one time he was confronted with a situation. Some people pretended they'd come from a distant land and they had like old food and clothes and everything and they claimed to come from this faraway place and wanted to make a covenant, an agreement, a treaty with Joshua and the Israelites. They said, we've heard what great things you've been able to do, how God has helped you. Now Joshua, a great leader, made a mistake here. You know what that was? He didn't inquire of God. He just went by appearances. Yeah, they come from a far country. Okay, I'll make a, an agreement with them. God had said to destroy the inhabitants of the land, but they were really Gibeonites and inhabitants of the land they were commanded to destroy. But without asking God, he made this agreement with them. So in a sense, this became a, a real problem that now, not only was the agreement made, later on they actually helped protect the Gibeonites. But it's so important to not do what Joshua did at first, neglect to ask God. But instead to do like David did in the various circumstances to ask God, what is your will for me? And so we find that there, was where he was to be, first by the brook and then up at Zarephath. And he encountered the widow and God brought them together and God marvelously sustained them in a miraculous way. Interestingly enough, though, he wasn't through helping the woman, this woman of great faith. Going back to the passage, 1 Kings 17, verse 17, 17, 17. And it happened after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he died. And we see that that was the case later on here. And she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O you man of God? Are you come to me to call my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? She apparently had something in her past that bothered her. She'd done that was not right. And she was feeling very guilty about this and decided God must be punishing her. A lot of times people come to conclusions like that. But the thing I want to point out is she acknowledged that she was a sinner. And that's so important for us to do as well. God tells us in so many words to love him completely, fully, all the way in every way. If we truly understand 
his command, we recognize that we're in incapable of doing that. He tells us to do it, but we just don't have the power to fully do that. But he doesn't just say, you shall try to do it. He says, you shall do it. And when we really grasp these concepts, we do understand we're all sinners. We're all in need of God's forgiveness, the grace of God, through the Lord Jesus by trusting in him. Not only to be saved, but to continue on in his ways. So she acknowledged that she was a sinner. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he stayed and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, O Jehovah my God, have you also brought evil upon the widow with whom I stay, live, by killing her son? He didn't quite understand it either. And he stretched himself. Now notice what he did. Very interesting. A picture of how we need to be concerned for the lost. He stretched himself upon the child three times. And he cried out to the Lord and he said, O Lord my God, I ask you, I pray you, let this child's soul come into him again. So he really identified himself with him. Imagine stretching himself on him three times like that and prayed earnestly that God would restore life to this child. Should we not identify with those who are lost, who are living in spiritual death, who need to be awakened to spiritual life, who need the Lord? This is one of the objects of the church, to reach the lost. And so what a great example this is of the care and identification and help given to the lost. So he prayed the soul would come again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and get this, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Soul of the child came into him again. So what happens when we die? Obviously, the soul leaves the body. I mentioned that earlier. And now, as he's restored to life, the soul comes back and re-enters the body. Remember, too, when Jesus died, what he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And you remember Stephen, when he died, you read about it in chapter 7 of Acts, Lord Jesus, I commit my spirit to you. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we learn that soul and spirit are very, very closely related to each other. They're almost the same. There is actually a difference. But you see, when a person dies, the soul spirit leaves the body. If they're to be raised from the dead, the soul spirit, as I would call it, comes back again into the body. I tend to think that the spirit is more the active living part and the soul is more the psychological, the mental part. At any rate, Elijah prayed and the soul spirit came back into the child. 
And as we share God's truths and God's concern and love and identify ourselves and reach out to other people, miracles can happen. They really can. And so we need to seek God's will that we might be there and doing whatever he wants us to do. Verse 23, And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house, delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, Look, your son's alive. (laughs) The woman said to Elijah, I think this is very important. Even though she had great faith before, even though she believed very strongly, even though she put God first, the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this, what he'd just done, been able to raise the child from death. By this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your, that is in your mouth is truth. So even though she had faith, now her faith was confirmed. <laughs> now she had a very strong faith. And there are things so many times that happen in our lives to confirm our faith as well. How God answers prayer. How God encourages us as we gather together. How God works in our lives and the lives of others. How we see that God is working through us and using us, weak and inept as we may be. God is able to do all these wonderful things. And so here we want to focus on the widow, even though... Elijah did some wonderful things and was used of God. This widow put God first. This widow had Elijah brought to her. This widow trusted God. This widow saw God's miracle of provision. This widow then saw God's miracle of resurrection. The dead son lived. And God can encourage us as we see him working as we see him doing things that seem quite impossible. I thank God that he has worked in my life so many wonderful ways. And I think many of you can say the same, that he has done this in your lives. You've trusted him. He stood behind what he's promised. He's done it. Should we not love him so much more and serve him with all our hearts? Widow of Zarephath may be a great example to us. Let us be there in whatever place and action that God wants us to be in. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Thank you how it helps us realize that you are God. And we need to put you first in our lives. We need to trust you. We need to see you working. Our faith needs to be confirmed. We need to love you even more. We show that love we know by obeying you, by living for you. May your blessing be upon this, your church, upon these, your people, May we dedicate ourselves even now in our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.